Hello, dear friends. My name is Nancy Hagner, and I am the host of Talk It Up and the rector of Trinity Episcopal Church in Concord, Massachusetts. Talk It Up is a podcast for folks who are trying to live out their faith in Christ in a very busy, hectic, and sometimes chaotic world. And this is my co-host, the Reverend Julia. Hello, and we're glad that you found us. We promise to be authentic about the places we're still learning to love better. Friends, let's dive in. Hello, dear friends. My name is Reverend Julia Matiana Friedman. I am the Minister for Youth and Families at Trinity Episcopal Church in Concord, Massachusetts. And I'm really excited today for, for this episode because I wanted to share that Reverend Nancy, our rector and regular host for the podcast, is on her much-deserved vacation. So she has asked me to bring you the, our first guest to talk it up. Robert Christian is an intern for the diaconate in our church community and our diocese, and I'm excited for you all to get to know him a bit better. We are going to hear today a lot about his own sort of spiritual journey, but I also am really interested to hear more about the diaconate in the Episcopal Church and what that means. So, Robert, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So just give us a little background about yourself. Where did you grow up? So I was born and grew up in Austin, Texas. And uh, actually, I'm a cradle Episcopalian. I've been an Episcopalian my whole life, uh, as was my mother was a cradle Episcopalian. So I, I do kind of runs in my blood. In your lineage. Yes. yes. I feel like we have a lot of cradle Episcopalians in Massachusetts and maybe in, I don't know if that's true of the Episcopal Church in general, but I think you're in good company. Were you baptized as an infant? Do you know? So, so kind of yes and no. What happened was very quickly after I was born, uh, my mom became pregnant again. So they actually waited until my brother was born and then had us baptized together. So I was I was almost two years old when I was baptized. So okay. not quite that's, an infant. Not quite an infant, but that's really special that you guys did it together. And we were also confirmed together. We're confirmed together. And I, yeah, so. Okay, neat, neat. Well, I was hoping you would tell us about a person who is sort of most impactful in your Christian life. I mean, especially maybe your early Christian life. Was there somebody that really formed you and shaped you? So I would say the rector of my church who did our confirmation class. Um, up until then, um, Honestly, I would pray every Sunday morning that my parents would oversleep so that we didn't have to go to church. <laughs> uh, this is the 1928 prayer book. Services right. were very hard on children to sit through. Um, but my confirmation class, this would have been the fall of 76 is when I started. Confirmation class really uh, really changed my outlook towards the church. Uh, and, uh, it, I guess it did what it was supposed to do. Uh, yeah. That's really encouraging to hear that, you know, confirmation was such a, 
um, important kind of form forming for formation for you as you were figuring out your own faith, you know, journey and commitment. Absolutely. Um, yeah. th back in those days, there was no first communion in the Episcopal church. So the day you were confirmed was also the day that you received communion for the very first time. Okay. Okay. And Robert, tell us how, when you came to Massachusetts. So I've been here for 25 years. Okay. Uh, 1998 is when I came up. I uh, just kind of came up for a change of scenery, wanted to live someplace uh, very different from Texas. And I found a place very different. <laughs> from <Texas>. Yes, <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. So kind of moving into like the deacon questions, what is an Episcopal deacon? Can you share with us what Episcopal deacon is and maybe also how it differs from a priest? Okay. So... There are two types of deacons uh, in the Episcopal and Anglican tradition. Uh, and so I guess we could talk about terminology a little bit first. Sure. Uh, sure. So transitional deacons, uh, that's the first step towards being ordained as a priest. Uh, when I was younger, uh, the transitional diaconate was typically a year. Um, now it's more like six months. So it's actually very, you know, short interval of time between your ordination as a transitional deacon and your ordination to the priesthood, typically. Um, I am in formation for what is sometimes referred to as either a permanent deacon or a vocational deacon, the preferred terminology. And if the archdeacons hear this, uh, I want to make sure I use the preferred terminology. Sure, sure. Preferred terminology is simply deacon. Okay. Uh, now, there are deacons in the Bible. Uh, there's, you know, St. Stephen and Six others are ordained in the book of Acts to take care of a you know particular segment, impoverished segment, widows in the community in Jerusalem. The way the diaconate developed for the next few centuries was deacons worked directly for the bishop. They it was an ordained role, but they had administrative functions, functions to distribute alms to the poor, uh, and to kind of be the bishop's uh deputy or eyes and ears and that was kind of the way it evolved at that time by the middle ages in western europe the diaconate became simply a step uh that you went through to become a priest so that tradition actually does go back you know uh hundreds of years okay um being a deacon as an end in itself um as an uh, equal branch of the ordained ministry was revived actually first in the Roman Catholic Church and with Vatican II, as I understand it. And then in the Episcopal Church a little bit later on, uh, there had always been deacons here and there um, in the Episcopal Church, even in the 19th century, uh, in missionary contexts or uh people who were ordained, you know, specific, for specific functions and for one reason or another, you know, were not ordained to the priesthood. But as 
as a renewed order, it really kind of goes back to the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, and in this diocese, deacons, uh, the first group of postulants to the diaconate uh, were admitted in 1998, as I understand it. And that's when the deacon school or the deacon formation program in Arlington started in 1998. Neat. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Um, my understanding is, so clarify this a, a bit for me one distinction sort of between the priesthood and the diaconate is that deacons sort of work for the church's mission kind of outside of the church proper while the priest priest is sort of working for the church mission within the church tell so us a little in, bit about that so you can see that in you know the respective ordination services for deacons and priests in the book of common prayer so for example when the bishop begins the examination of a priest uh, ordinand in the ordination ceremony, the bishop tells that person that you're to minister to the young and old, rich and poor, the strong and the weak. Um, however, in the charge or examine uh, that the bishop gives a deacon ordinand in the uh, diaconal ordination service, uh, the one of the key instructions is that you're to interpret the needs and concerns, the needs, hopes, and concerns of the world to the church. So the you church. were saying bring the church's, uh, the world's concerns, I should say, into the church. church. And additionally, at uh, the charge, at the end of the charge, it says at all times, your life and teaching are to show Christ's people that in serving the helpless, they're serving Christ himself. So that's from the uh, deacon ordination service. So the special concern uh, for the world and particularly for people who are suffering in some way, whether it's injustice or from privation or their basic needs aren't being met, they're being discriminated against, any number of things. A deacon has a special role in uh, bringing those concerns to the attention of the church and also encouraging uh, lay ministry within the church to address those uh, those concerns. That's really that's really interesting. I think the 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 sort of special call for deacons is just really beautiful, right? Like that the world has a need and deacons are sort of called to bring that to the church is, is really powerful and, and neat to, to hear. So um, tell us more specifically, what did you go to school for and what is your profession? So I'm an attorney and Specifically, my practice involves uh, almost exclusively court-appointed work. I represent people who are charged with crimes who cannot afford an attorney, which is, frankly, most people who are uh, embroiled in the uh, criminal legal system. Um, and I also represent uh, people in mental health 
cases, people are receiving some kind of involuntary mental health treatment. And I also represent men who are being civilly committed um, as sexually dangerous persons. That's kind of an obscure area of law, but under Massachusetts law, if you're convicted of certain sexual crimes, uh, you can potentially be held indefinitely after your sentence expires. So I handle those types of cases as well. Wow. Wow. That's, that's very interesting. Um, does your sort of professional life, uh, intersect with this role and this call as a deacon i mean i can think of so many ways that um the world has a need here in this in this world that you are serving in as a lawyer and an attorney how does that sort of intersect with your call as a deacon i'm i'm sometimes asked by people whether i feel that my clients are more whether it's more that they're offenders or that they're offended against, are they victimizers or are they victims? And the answer in the great majority of cases is, is something of both. Mm -hmm. uh, my clients, whether my criminal clients, my mental health clients, there's a lot of overlap, uh, have typically grown up in circum kind of chaotic circumstances uh, they've been exposed from an early age to domestic violence, uh, to substance use, uh, to kind of uh, instability in housing, instability in, uh, you know, their adult uh, caretakers or figures, just this whole kind of complex of uh, challenges that, you know, leave people traumatized, um, people without having kind of the same opportunities to develop uh, the same educational opportunities, the same uh, social opportunities, you know, that I had as, you know, growing up as a middle-class kid with two parents. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, certainly working with folks in distress uh, over, you know, a number of years was one of the you know, things that got me thinking about whether the diaconate, uh, whether I might have a call to the diaconate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't really think of a better sort of example of like doing justice and seeking mercy, right, for for folks. It It's interesting to hear you talk about kind of your clientele, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, that it's complicated, right, that people sort of have both victim and victimizer in in their you know identity and their personhood um yeah that's really interesting well in a big part of my job um you know the evidence is what the evidence is right <laughs> sometimes it can be interpreted different ways but it is often a big part of my job to get a judge or a district attorney or a probation officer or some other authority figure to present my client as a whole person, yes, you know, as somebody who is more than, you know, what they're accused of doing. Um, so, yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah, Everybody yeah. is very complicated and the product of, you know, histories and social forces and influences that, you know, obviously from an early age, you have no control over. So, 
So I, I don't want to over-spiritualize if you don't think about it in this way, but I'm, I am curious to, to hear if, you know, your sort of vocation, your professional vocation, your call as a public defender, if that has a spiritual sort of, I don't know, call for you, like, like when you were kind of getting into that field, was it sort of a spiritual kind of call for you to do this work at all? So that's an important question. And in one sense, I have to keep things separate. So I would never expressly within an encounter with a client, uh, try to, you know, proselytize or, proselytize or even refer them to a passage in the Bible or something. I, I feel like I have to, you know, keep appropriate boundaries in that respect. Sure. And when I started doing the work, frankly, it was a way of starting a practice. And oh, okay. I didn't, it became kind of an accidental vocation. And then once I started doing it, it becomes very much a vocation. And it does have a spiritual dimension um, because you're a com I am accompanying my clients uh, through a process uh, that can be frightening, that can have serious consequences for them, um, that can, you know, in extreme cases, completely ruin their life if it doesn't go right, right? And um, so there's that process of accompanying. Um, there's a strong element in what I do of encouragement to the extent I can offer encouragement. Um, so that's uh, offering people encouragement as a spiritual uh, practice. Yeah. Um, so there are definitely spiritual aspects to it um, for me and, and hopefully uh, hopefully for my clients, though, again, I can't, you know. Yeah, it's not over. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I've been thinking about sort of the word vocation and we, we talked, we touched a little bit on sort of your, I don't know, call or professional vocation. But, you know, I think we're all called to something, right? Like God calls us to something, not just clergy, not just deacons. But in this case, how and when did you kind of sense a vocation to become a deacon? What sort of led you there? So it was having the example of having a deacon in my parish. Mm. I, I had very little awareness. <laughs> excuse me. I had very little awareness of the uh, renewed diaconate, uh, even though I'd been a lifelong Episcopalian or perhaps because I'd been a lifelong Episcopalian, because deacon deacons didn't exist when I was young, yeah. uh, or didn't exist in the same in, form. in any great numbers or in the same yeah. form. Uh, there were a few scattered around the country. But uh, so it was when my parish, uh, my sending parish is Good Shepherd Reading, it was when uh, a deacon came there to serve and and can I ask, do you remember what that deacon sort of day job or sort of bivocation was? So he worked in, he was already close to retirement from his day job by the time he came to Good Shepherd. He'd been a deacon for a few years, but I believe he worked in human resources in okay. the private sector. Okay, um, interesting. So it was really his, 
he made a big impression. He's retired now. Uh, his name's Pete Jeffrey. And um, he's just an effortlessly kind person, um, had real presence to him and made a big impression on me. And I, and I think I had already, I can't remember when Pete came to Good Shepherd. It was around 2014, maybe. Okay. Um, it was, I think. Um, so he made a big impression. And I'd already kind of started thinking about, you know, whether there was more I might be called to do than just working in this, you know, particular uh, system, you know, the yeah. criminal legal system is, it's kind of a machine that can chew people up. And I'm, I mean, everybody, <laughs> the lawyers, the defendants, the, you know, it's a very stressful system. It could be very impersonal. So, so I was kind of looking for something else maybe. And, and then uh, Pete came to our parish and made a profound impression on me. Yeah. Yeah. Remind me, deacons do they do deacons um do eucharist i can't recall so they that is that would be the principal sort of observable yeah <laughs> difference between difference. a deacon yeah. and a priest so okay. the conception the conception is that it's an equal order of ministry deacons Absolutely. are not, not conceived of as being less than However, they cannot uh, celebrate the Eucharist. That is a priest's function. Okay. And so that sort of, to me, indicates not not so much like a hierarchy, but really the idea that, you know, deacons are for the sake of the world, right? Or for the sake of kind of the larger community um, out, out in the world, out in their professions, um, out in their spheres of influence, sort of bringing folks into... I don't know, into the church or into the community. Well, and uh, also, you know, encouraging the people in the church to yeah. to go outside. Um, now, I will say about Trinity Concord specifically, I don't think <laughs> I don't think that was necessary. Trinity Concord has a very impressive uh, outreach uh, setup and involvement. Uh, but uh, but that is also a potential role of a deacon I, in the future. If I'm ordained, God willing, I might be assigned to a parish. That and, may and, be, and you might do like some sort of outreach, right? Is that sort of what you're saying that like a deacon might be within a parish, kind of looking at, kind of to motivate, encourage, motivate, encourage, sort of be a catalyst for some kind of outreach that doesn't exist already. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um. How so? My next question is: How does your professional life inform your sense of call as a deacon? You sort of touched on this, but I don't know if that you have more specifics about how being attorney really informs your call as a deacon. Um. So being, <laughs> or maybe it doesn't. No, attorneys, yeah. Attorneys, kind of, we get a bum rap, you know when. <laughs> When uh, when you're an attorney, when you're representing somebody, um, you know, as I often try to explain to people, your clients cause, and this this really goes for all kinds of different attorneys, not just criminal defense attorney, but your clients' cause becomes your cause. Yeah. 
and it's um, uh, it's like it's you're more than just yourself as an individual. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to put it. Yeah. And and that's that's certainly a spiritual thing. Uh, maybe in kind of the rough and tumble of your daily law practice, it might not seem very spiritual when you're worried about paying the light bill and the yes. rent and so on. But uh, but it's a very being a lawyer is a very special um, thing and creates kind of a one of a kind relationship between you and your client. I mean, for example, my obligation uh, to protect my clients' confidences and secrets, you know, as a perpetual obligation. Obviously, there are a few exceptions. If you know your client's about to rob a bank or, you know, might act out in a violent way, you know, they're narrow exceptions, but um, it's a very special type of relationship. It's not just a job. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I think any type of lawyer, um, it's a vocation, although in my case, in my case, it's a special, the work I do is special as it involves, you know, uh, typically people are poor and disadvantaged yeah. in a variety of ways, but um, so. I think I guess, another way. I think another like way to ask the question that I'm getting at a little bit is like what sort of gifts and skills really translate, you know, what I'm hearing you say is like you have, you know, professional experience with dealing with the poor, dealing with people that you might be really different from, have really different background from, right? And those sort of skills and gifts that you have to work with that particular population probably will translate right into your work as a deacon right and and so what other sort of gifts and and tr you know tricks of the trade if you will to really translate into this ministry as a deacon and i i think you just touched on the principal ones i mean it's about uh relationship building particularly uh with folks who uh don't share much in the way of background uh so building relationship uh communication skills i mean a deacon in certain contexts would be an advocate as far as carrying out that role of you know bringing the needs of the world into the church yeah uh, so i think communication skills that you learn as a lawyer um uh, you know would be a big part of the echo ministry um and frankly, being a lawyer, particularly I've been a lawyer almost 30 years now, uh, between Texas and Massachusetts, uh, you have a pretty thick skin, and I imagine that will help too. Yeah, uh, that's a really good one. Absolutely. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I am still in the process of growing thicker skin in this, in this whole sort of call in ministry, right? It's just sort of an ongoing, yeah, ongoing process. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, is there, I would love to hear, and I, I hope our listeners would be interested to hear if there's some sort of like mission or ministry or committee or like something that really calls to you when you think about you know maybe becoming a you know being ordained as a deacon in in hopefully the near future is there something that sort of 
just, you know, sparks your interest or gets you excited? So one of the challenges, and I touched on it earlier in terms of, you know, maintaining boundaries with my clients is I have some hesitation about doing anything that's too close to the system. However, you know, one of the largest. You mean like too close to the legal system? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. And thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, but something I would be interested in doing one thing potentially is, you know, re-entry work. Um, Re-entry for people who've been, particularly coming out of the state prison system, it's kind of a patchwork of things. Uh, some men leave the state prison system without, a lot A lot of them are on parole, and, you know, parole is not supposed to be a social service agency, but at least, you know, there's a little bit of structure, right, if you're sure. released on parole. And in theory, if the legislature would invest and in it the parole system could become a lot more but a lot of men leave prison without being on parole you complete your sentence um they give you a bus ticket and you know away you go so i think there's a real need for re-entry help um along the same lines as maybe a communication or uh outreach type work, it's important to convey to regular folks who never, you know, their closest involvement in the criminal justice system might be a drunk driving arrest. I would say that's a type of criminal offense that even judges <laughs> pick yeah. up from time to yeah. time. So, But for the most part, it's uh, a mystery to people who don't get arrested. And it's important, I think, to communicate to folks that people who've been in prison are still your fellow citizens. Yeah. Uh, people that you might encounter doing work. Uh, they're frankly ex convicts get some of the worst jobs in our society. They're, they're, they're roofing your house. Yeah. They, they're laying carpet. They're doing the most kind of strenuous and uncomfortable yeah. Uh, laboring jobs there are and you are going to encounter them and and i just um, think there are two sides of it i mean one type of work i could do would could be informational or trying to persuade people who've never set foot in a courthouse that uh, these folks who might be coming out of prison or coming off probation or out of the county house of correction um that again you getting that they're more than they're more than their criminal record, right? Right. They're still your fellow citizens, your fellow humans, and still people who deserve your regard. Because I think a lot of a lot of popular culture, whether it's Hollywood movies, whether it's cable news, <laughs> what what True crime, I mean all that. Sends yeah. very dehumanizing messages yeah. about people who uh, you know get caught up in the criminal justice system. So now, I, I've heard this rumor and I actually don't know for sure if it's true. I know that there are a lot of churches who do sort of prison ministry, prison outreach, this kind of thing. But I've heard that Episcopalians tend to not be in our 
prisons, you know, doing sorts of ministry outreach and things. Do you know anything about that, if that's true about Episcopalians, or if that's like sort of something we could grow in sort of as Anglicans? So, I, and I've thought about that because a lot, a lot of prison ministry in Massachusetts, to my observation, and, yeah. and there may be some folks listening to this who would know better than I would, um, is that prison ministry is often done one, by the Catholic Church, because it is, you know, the largest Christian uh, confession in Massachusetts still, yeah. or by evangelical. Evangelicals, yes. Yes, that's that's kind of my um, sort of understanding. Again, not having feet on the ground on this, but yeah, that's, it's interesting, right? It's kind of interesting that, I don't know, Episcopalians don't have that so I thought, you know, I've certainly thought about how. I mean, a re-entry ministry could be really neat, could be really neat. Right. Yeah. Which is a little different than a prison ministry, right? But, you know, maybe a similar population, maybe. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've wondered how. How an Episcopal prison ministry you know, I wondered what that might look like if you're trying to convey that the Episcopal Church, you know, and and not intending to criticize any other denomination. That's that's not what I want to do here. But sure, just sure. talk about what we do, and and what we do is, you know, we invite questions. We don't necessarily give a hundred percent you know all the answers clear. we don't yeah. right and i think maybe to somebody in prison that might honestly that might not be appealing but i've, I've thought about ways you know i'm wondering how you would present that because it's a very non-authoritarian again i apologize i'm sounding like i'm criticizing other other christians but um but our approach i, I i've it I is different know. It, it is, is different. different. It is different. That it's a different impulse than like your evangelical or or Catholic kind of tradition. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It would take a lot of like creative, really like creative and ingenuity to really to really think about how to be sort of Anglican, right? In in uh, a ministry like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Really fascinating stuff. Um. So. Robert, at this point, I would love to invite you to say any final words or anything that you want to share with us, either about the diaconate or your day job um, that you want to sort of close us out with. Well, the as I you know commented earlier, uh, the diaconate in Massachusetts, you know, began in its current form really in 1998 as I understand it. So it's a new thing. It's something, it's new and old, right? There's that prayer for the church in the ordination ceremony that says things that are old are being made new. And the diaconate was made new in the Episcopal church beginning in the late seventies and, and the eighties. And it's still something that's in development. It's still a work in progress. Um, I hope that going forward, and if I'm ordained again, God willing, and the people consenting, that I can be part of 
uh, promoting it or making encouraging it known. others yeah and and you know i i just uh and then be part of making it making it everything it could be you know uh, it's we need more deacons and uh, uh and maybe i can in some way <laughs> help yeah. bring that about yeah my career so yeah, amen to that, Robert. I um I would love to encourage folks that if you see Robert on Sunday and you want to ask him questions about the diaconate or if you're interested in becoming a deacon, like he is a resource, somebody that you can talk to um on Sunday mornings. Can they also email you, Robert? Oh, sure. Yeah. What's your what's your Trinity so email? I, I do have a Trinity email, so it's Christian at trinityconquered.org. Perfect. Christian at trinityconquered.org. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate um, having this conversation. I think it was super interesting and we're so grateful that you're here at Trinity. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, folks, that's all we have for today. Please join us again next month for a brand new topic. We hope that you will worship with us in person at Trinity Episcopal Church in Concord, Massachusetts at 10 a.m. Or you can always find us online. Our YouTube channel will be linked in the show notes. Until next time, friends. Bye con Dios and keep it real.